This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in today. Lots going on in the world of agriculture. A lot of our friends in the eastern Corn Belt are salting their driveways, digging out from some snow and watching rainfall. And we're seeing the markets respond. We've got green on the screen in the grains. We'll check in with Joe Lardy of CHS Hedging here in segment two. And then in segment three, we're going to talk livestock. Dr. Daryl Peel of Oklahoma State University will join us on the show, and we're to get some projections and some estimates on where this market could be headed. Cattle, of course, have been very, very volatile. But before we get into all of that conversation, one of the major drivers of volatility in the grain market has been the weather down in Brazil. We've seen droughts, we've seen uh, extended periods of rainfall, and the market is watching this crop, trying to see just how many beans are going to come out of Brazil and Argentina, and then that second crop corn, which is going in the ground now or, or has been uh, for a little while, how much production are they going to see down there? Well, the Iowa Soybean Association had a chance to take a group of farmers down to Brazil for a first-hand look. And joining us first today is Mr. Rob Ewalt. He's an Iowa farmer and president of the Iowa Soybean Association. Rob, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, you took a team of farmers down to Brazil with the ISA. Where did you go, Rob? Where'd you guys land, and what were some of the first stops you made? Oh, well, we went down to uh, all international flights now, going to Sao Paulo, which is a really, really big town, and we didn't stay there too long. And then we headed north up to Manaus, up where the Negro River meets the Amazon, so we could kind of see what their what their waterway you know looks like and how they're shipping those beans out. And after that, we went to Mato Grosso State for several days and had some good meetings and saw some farms. And then we went down, spent a very brief amount of time down in the state of Paraná, uh, down in the southern end, down by Argentina. Well, let's talk first about that shipping. You know, that's one of the things we hear. America's advantage in the soy ecosystem is that we can ship stuff to people when they need it. And Brazil has struggled with that. Rob, what did you see when you were at Manaus and you were watching the Amazon River? What, what was it like down there? Well, it, I mean, it's an impressive river. I mean, I grew up here on the Mississippi, and, and I always thought we had a really nice river system, and and uh, and I thought it was big until you see the Amazon. And, my gosh, 200-foot deep water and two to three miles wide in places, and, and you see ocean-going vessels coming up, you know, up river five to 600 miles to get loaded. So, I mean, it it, it helps them out greatly. Uh, the, I was impressed with what they had for for the Amazon to, to, to utilize. Rob, you know, we hear a lot about the quality of roads down in Brazil. As you guys were moving from place to place, what were they like? Are they still dirt roads or are you seeing some paving and some improvements happen? Well, uh, one of, one of our, um, one of my companions with me on the trip had been there eight years ago and we were on the BR-163 down towards the Southern part. And he said it was considerably better. Uh, you know, there was some four lane there, uh, my understanding is it still gets a little rough when you're going up north uh, and you get into Amazonia headed headed north with trucks. Um, but and there's still dirt roads on the side. But my gosh, I was we were out there in a field that got five inches of rain the night before, and they're pulling these semis with 2,000 bushel of beans on, and they're they're able to maneuver on these roads and not get stuck. I don't know how they do it, but they're they must be a better driver than me. And 2,000 bushels is what they can put on a truckload down there? Yes, that's their, they, they run a tandem tandem setup and, and they're hauling 2,000 bushels into, into these storage warehouses, yes. Wow, Rob. So you had the chance to see harvest going on there in Mato Grosso State. What was it like? You mentioned that, that extreme rainfall. Are, are the farmers just used to that this time of year? I think they are. I think they are. You know, when we were down there, uh, they they were about 65 to 70 percent done harvest in there, and and uh, they were just dealing with rain every day. Every day we were in Monte Grosso State, 
it rained. And I have a good friend of mine that was on the trip from Rippey, Iowa, and and he said, I've seen more rain in four days in Monte Grosso than he's seen in Rippey, Iowa the last two years. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rain. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. And with harvest going on, the rain falling, what's the condition of this crop looking like coming out of Monte Grosso State? Well, we were starting to see those fields look a little bit, uh, they were darkening up, getting some black color on those, you know, looking like there might be some mold coming on that last 30% that's left to harvest. You know, I mean, you're dealing with rain every day and high humidity, and they're harvesting these beans at about 25% moisture right now and drying them. And so they got a lot of damage that's going to come off just mechanically from trying to harvest at 25%. So, so they, they got their issues that they deal with. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly do. But what did you see for yield down there, Rob, as the combines were running, were, were the growers excited? Were the yields reduced? Mato Grosso, largest producer of beans, correct? In uh, Brazil? Yes, Mato Grosso uh, is the number one. Uh, they, I think, they supply about fifty percent of the beans out of the out of the whole country. So yeah, they're they're a large they're a large player. Um, the yields on those early beans, they were very happy with them. They were seeing, you know, when you do the conversion, we were had it right at about maybe fifty nine to sixty bushel yield on those early beans. Are those later beans gonna gonna stay up that level i don't know if they really will um you know with the damage and with the mold i think i think they're going to see that slack off a little bit um you know that was that was the big thing that we took away is is uh there's but there's just lots of acres down there there's no way to offset the acres you know well and that's that's the thing rob i was reading one of your updates that just sent up while the the team was down in brazil and it mentioned you stopped by a farm operated by bomb futuro i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but uh could you talk a little bit about that farm and soybean processing facility that uh so that that is a, i believe the second largest bean producing farm in the world uh they're right about 1.2 million acres four brothers or three brothers and a brother-in-law that started off as tractor drivers for their uncle and and uh they've done very well for themselves they uh they they they're really all an export they didn't have processing they they uh they would just warehouse those beans and then ship them out uh on the river system to uh to head to destinations where we think we know where they're going mostly to china um and and that was pretty much what they did but their the interesting part for that operation was their main money was in cotton on the second crop um so that was pretty you know we never thought of that we i didn't anyways when i was down there is you'd think soybeans 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 well they wanted to combine those soybeans so they could get that that second crop of cotton in behind them and and they had their own cotton gin and they were making three times the money on cotton as they were on soybeans absolutely incredible folks rob was on this week in agribusiness we've got a few pictures of his trip down to brazil if you tune into the show this weekend you can see those we've been talking to rob ewalt president of the iowa soybean association who's just gotten back from brazil rob thanks for coming on the show today thanks for having me mike take care now Folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk markets with Joe Lardy of CHS. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. National FFA Week is February 19th through the 26th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm National FFA President Cole Bearlocker from the state of Washington. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. 
Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA week. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We have been watching these agricultural markets for some time be exceptionally volatile for the month of February. We just heard from Rob Ewalt. We've got questions about soybean production and potentially corn production down the line in Brazil. And the markets are also watching the Russia-Ukraine tension, sorting all of this out in a month that's, well typically kind of dull for farm markets makes it very interesting and to help us make sense of what is going on we're going to be joined today by joe lardy he's a market intelligence and analyst insight expert with chs joe thanks for taking the time to join us today yeah no problem appreciate being on thanks mike Joe, we just heard from Rob about the challenges down in Brazil. We've been talking in the markets about this for some time. Where do you think this Brazilian soybean crop is going to end up this year? Do you have a number in mind? Huh. Well, I have a direction in mind um, where that number eventually stops. This is the bigger question. And, you know, the weather forecast is not conducive to any more gains down there. Um, you know, it's, we've talked at length how dry things are, and now when they're actually getting some rains, uh, they're getting it right at harvest time, which is probably uh, adding a little bit more uh, worry and, and maybe some more declines uh, to the production down there. And I guess right now, if I'm going to take a guess and, and put a number on uh, Brazilian production, I'm going to be right at 125. 125 right there with with a lot of other folks and you know joe we heard earlier this morning of another export sales report and i understand it was largely china they seem to be getting concerned about brazil's production as well yes and 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 they should be you know uh watching that many tons fall off of a, a from the beginning production number uh is worrisome uh china sees all the news there and obviously in contact with all the growers and the operations down there, they're seeing uh, the potential problems down there. And, and I think they're trying to do the proactive thing in, in business to the U.S. And that certainly doesn't hurt them at all. And, you know, when we just look back at the, the number of export sales announcements that we've seen, 
that come out in the morning, only two days in the entire month of February have uh, missed out on soybean announcements. So we've been in a really, really strong pattern uh, for those announcements, and, and I think the market is reflecting that, right? We're, we're sitting here, you know, bouncing around near the highs, a $16 being the board, and uh, the market is, is, is certainly telling us that there's a problem in South America and, and that potential export business uh, is shifting to the U.S. And most of these soybean purchases coming from, well, all of our foreign buyers, are they coming in the old crop or the new crop? Where are most of these international traders most concerned about availability? Well, I think the, the big question when I see the announcement come around, I do look at what marketing year they're, they're coming into. And I think if we see these announcements and when we get like the Thursday export sales numbers, if we see them in old crop, that tells me that people are very doubtful on availability out of Brazil and therefore they're turning back to the U.S. for that availability. Because normally that window, you know, when we see exports now for the U.S., it's all going to be for the new crop, um, you know, as part of our normal business. And, and typically, you know, from now until we start getting into our harvest, we're really relatively slow. This is typically Brazil's window for exports, but with their supply availability in question right now, looking for those uh, old crop sales out of the U.S. Uh, certainly is, is painting a picture. It certainly is, Joe. As we think about what else is happening in the soybean market, we've been watching domestic crush, and there has been such demand for bean oil domestically. What are we seeing on the crush? What do you expect to see on the crush the next report we get? Is that processor margin sticking around? Um, margins are still good, yes. Um, when we got the no full crush number a couple of days ago, though, I was a little bit surprised that it was down a little bit. Um, I was I was one of the analysts that, that had a higher number, and, and I think most people um, had numbers kind of in line where I was, and that crush fell a few million tons below, um, or a few million bushels below where, where everybody expected it. And, and that did surprise me a little bit, just because, as you mentioned, the crush margins have been decent. There, there hasn't been a reason for crushers to, to really pull back a whole lot. And we have seen um, overall just some really strong uh, NOPA crush numbers uh, in the past. And so that, that was a little bit disappointing to me um, just on the number outright. But when we look at the bigger picture um, compared to previous years and stuff, it was a big number overall. So um, I think our crush industry here is, is really robust. It's really strong. And given the uh, potential uh, oil demand that we're seeing for the future, um, it looks uh, like things are going to stay pretty robust for, for quite a while here. Well, that's good to, see, good to hear for those uh, those bean processors. I want to turn our focus over the wheat market. Joe, we have seen wheat be the play for uh, traders who are concerned about rising tensions between Russia and the U.S. As you look at the Kansas City market today, that's the one that's really moving. D does that make sense to you? What's happening in the KC wheat market today? Well, <clears throat> there's always this, you know, the, the Russia-Ukraine situation is going to loom over the, the wheat market until there's peace in the world and um, just given the the rhetoric going on right now that that appears to be uh, a little ways away but I think the other thing that we definitely need to keep an eyeball on on the on the KC uh, wheat market for sure is kind of the weather outlook here and is there any snow cover and what kind of temperatures are we going to see because we're not all that far away from talking about you know that wheat breaking dormancy down there and and uh, what kind of crop we could be looking at down at KC this year. All right, so yeah, it's that drought play getting to be a concern in that market. Broader, uh, broadly speaking, more broadly speaking, I guess in the wheat market, Joe, where do you see Kansas or excuse me, Chicago moving from here? I mean, again, this is still just going to be a, a risk play between Russia and the Ukraine. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's Chicago wheat generally is the market that's the deeper market, and that's generally where the money flows. So as we, you know, have reactions to 
kind of the global situation um, a lot of times that does get expressed generally more often in, in the Chicago market. And, and I think that's really where that influence is, is, is going to lay with the wheat markets going forward. You know, as you said, normally in this time of year, we're, we're relatively quiet. Um, the export picture on the wheat market is, is pretty dismal right now. Things have been very slow on that front. And so really we have to look to those outside influences to see what is going to be pushing this wheat market around. And, and for now, that, uh, that's kind of centered on, on the Russian situation. Well, let's turn our focus over to the corn market, Joe. Old crop over 650. Where do you see this old crop market going? Is there still room to move to the upside? You know, I, I really think that there there is a possibility for, for this market to keep moving higher. Um, we are coming into that point of the year, you know, as, as the bean uh, exports slow down. Um, this is the time that we really start shipping out a lot of corn. So there is going to be a decent demand uh, on the physical side to get those, you know, barges or trucks and trains and boats all loaded to get that physical corn moving. And, and, and so this is the time of, of the year when, when that market heats up a little bit. And, you know, historically, the basis levels have been relatively robust compared to some of the prior years. So I think the corn market looks pretty decent. And I also think that the corn market needs to stay relatively well-priced. Um, we have a really, really strong acreage fight coming up in front of us in, in, in not too long here. And I think the corn market needs to, needs to stay priced to keep those acres. I mean, beans are certainly making a case, but um, I, I don't think we can, when I look at the balance sheets, uh, we need to keep a pretty robust level of corn acreage in this country. And um, certainly a, a 650 board uh, helps achieve that goal. Yeah, it certainly does. A lot of folks looking at higher input prices then see the higher prices and it can pencil for a lot of operators. That being said, Joe, with $6 in December corn while we're uh, setting crop insurance prices, I think growers ought to just be watching these markets and holding tight? <clears throat> well, I'm, I've always been of the philosophy, if there's a really good you know, level out there, take advantage of it. You know, you don't have to jump on and sell your whole crop. But it certainly makes sense when when you get the opportunity. You you never we never know what's going to happen in these markets, and you know one event That's or true. one thing happens and stuff can go south quick. So take advantage while you can. Absolutely, Joe Lardy, market intelligence analyst with CHS. Thanks for joining us, and folks, we'll talk to Daryl Peel about cattle when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up when you choose the roundup ready extend crop system you're choosing exceptional weed control it controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small seeded broadleaf weeds plus you get triple tolerance to dicamba glyphosate and glufosinate when used with extend flex soybeans the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, USDA reported a sale of 7.3 million bushels of soybeans to unknown destinations this morning with a third of that volume sold for the old crop, the rest for new crop. Now, the threat of war between Russia and Ukraine continues, with Russia announcing massive nuclear drills planned while Western leaders discuss their options here on Friday. The ebb and flow of rumors about the prospect of a Russian invasion into Ukraine continues as we close out the week, and it's really swaying our markets here as we've worked through the last week of trade. Reminder that uh, markets closed on Monday for President's Day, which means that traders face an extended period of risk over the next three days when headlines continue to flow while the markets are closed, potentially putting trader positions at risk. 
Now, the VIX is trading near 28 this morning, reflecting elevated levels of anxiety on Wall Street. The dollar index near 95.8, while we see crude oil. That's trading nearly 2% lower with crude oil down $1.59 a barrel right now at 90.17. It'll be interesting to see what happens as we work through the day today. How much risk are traders going to take into the long holiday weekend? As we take a look at the stock market, the Dow Jones down 24, NASDAQ down 13, S&P up 1. In grains, March quart up 4, 654. July quart up 2, 647. March beans up 6 and a half, 1598 July beans up 5 and a quarter, 1598 and three quarters. March bean meal up 20 cents a ton, 449.40. March bean oil up 40 points, 67.21. March Chicago wheat eight and three quarters higher, 806 and three quarters. March Kansas City wheat up 13 at 836. March spring wheat up five and three quarters at 963. Hogs are higher, April up 122 at 108.80. Cattle mostly lower, March feeder cattle down 90, 165.30. Live cattle for April down 27, 146.50. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. We are going to be talking about the cattle markets in the beef industry here in just a little bit with Professor Daryl Peel of Oklahoma State University. Before we get into that, I just wanted to take a look and see what cattle prices were up to here on this Friday. Big reminder, Monday is President's Day, so the markets will be closed. There will not be any trade, so we are seeing traders get their positions on ahead of a three-day weekend plus all of the risk that is out there right now, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's China slowing down, you name it. When we get Dr. Peel on, we will discuss all of those factors. For right now, taking a look at where livestock prices are headed, we've got the April live cattle contract currently down about 30 cents at 147. We've got the June live cattle contract down 20 cents at 141.95. Now we are seeing mixed trade today in, well, both live and feeder cattle. The live cattle August contract is up a nickel at 140.80, and we're seeing October also up a nickel. Those deferred months have continued to see some more excitement. That October contract is trading at 145.85. Feeder cattle, same story. We continue to see mixed trade there. The March feeder cattle contract down 57.5 cents at 165.62.5. April down 15 at 171 as of right now. Now, as we take a look at uh, the factors that are happening or driving, I should say, movement in the cattle market, I'll save that until uh, Dr. Peel get, jumps on here. But we also want to talk about the, the hog market, which is, of course, that competing protein. And folks, when we think of how this hog market has been moving, it is something else. We're currently up just shy of two bucks in many of the contracts here. April, May, both up a little over $1.80. And we're seeing the June and July contracts up about $1.20 each, trading Boy, all of them, almost over $110. Joining us now, though, is Dr. Daryl Peel. We're going to turn our focus back to the cattle market. Dr. Peel, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Happy to join you this morning. Well, let's talk first about what is happening in the markets today. Daryl, we've got mixed trade. We're seeing this market kind of catch its breath a little bit. What are cattle traders thinking right now? 
Well, you know, we've we've had a lot of strength in these markets, generally a lot of optimism. Um, you know, and it's it's springtime. Most cattle markets tend to increase here through the first quarter of the year. Uh, but, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we've got to get all the pieces in place. So, um, you know, I think the Fed cattle market has uh, is probably, you know, maybe taking a little bit of a breather, but really still has a lot of momentum going forward. So as you take a look at that momentum, Daryl, what is it that has you confident we're going to find some more upside potential here in the live cattle market? Well, you know, obviously we've been enjoying very strong demand for many months now, really through, you know, the last two years, all of the pandemic, despite all the disruptions, we've had very strong demand and that continues. I think that's probably the biggest driver in the market. But it, but as we go forward from this point on, we're going to see the supply side uh, help uh, increase this market as well. We're moving into tighter cattle numbers. You know, the cattle inventory numbers that we got a couple weeks ago really confirmed that, yes, we do have less cattle in the country. And even though we've got feedlot inventories at about the same level as a year ago, and we may have that for another month or so, but eventually we're going to move into significantly tighter numbers uh, as we move through the year. You know, you mentioned we've got inventory on a per head basis tracking close to, to where we were in the past. How are we doing on carcass weights? Are we seeing these, these, uh, these beef animals coming down in weight? You know, carcass weights are holding pretty steady to a year ago, um, you know, and, and obviously they've been elevated the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, and, and that's a combination of short run factors, obviously uh, feed cost, uh, cost of gain in the feedlots affects that, time of year affects it, winter weather affects it, uh, but also long-term trends. And so, uh, you know, we continue to see these, they're more steady, not so much increasing at this point in time. Well, that's good to hear. On the the the, the side of feedlot profitability, Daryl, there has been a lot of frustration in that cattle feeding industry stretching all the way back to that Tyson fire in Holcomb, Kansas. And, and that frustration has continued. But are we seeing profitability rise even as these high feed grain prices continue? We really are. You know, it took much of 2021 to work past the labor constraints that were providing the bottleneck at the at the packing level, and that was the big uh, that was the big uh, you know wedge, if you will, between cattle markets and and wholesale beef markets. Uh, you know, and, and about November is when we finally broke out. We saw that fed cattle market move up sharply, uh, and, and that means that we are in the process of sort of returning these margins across the industry back to a little more normal level. So. Uh, we, we do have the feed cost issue, but, you know, in general, and obviously feeder cattle prices are going up. So feedlots have some challenges on the input side, but we are seeing the fed cattle market uh, give them a better opportunity for some profitability. Well, that is good news for a lot of folks in that sector. And you mentioned high feeder cattle prices. We are seeing a lot of enthusiasm from buyers there at sale barns. As you look out at the feeder cattle potential this year, Daryl, what are you keeping in mind? Well, you know, again, we do have a lot of enthusiasm and, and momentum building in that market, and, and the numbers are certainly going to be supportive of that. So, uh, you know, we're looking for higher uh, cattle prices. The biggest challenge in, in much of the country, of course, is going to be this drought situation. Uh, much of the, you know, much of the northern plains really struggled with drought last year. Uh, parts of the west have been in drought really uh, for a couple of years. And, and at this point in time, we've got about 70% of the country in some stage of abnormal drought or drought. So if we go forward into the spring with uh, these kind of drought conditions and producers, um, you know, obviously markets will help, but you have to have something to sell and the drought could be a real challenge for us going forward. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely could, especially that drought in the Southern Plains that's developing and the continued dryness up in the, the Northern Plains. Daryl, all of these places are going to be uh, challenges for producers. With that being said, I mean, boy, I, I think back, where did feeder cattle top out in that 2014 rally we saw? Daryl, were we north of 180? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, you know, again, it depends on sort of what weight you look at. But, um, you know, I don't remember where the future peaked out exactly, but uh, I, I'm sure it was above that level at, at, at some point in time. Uh, and, you know, we're in a situation now that that actually could set up something like that. The, the drought we had in 2011, 12, and 13 pushed cattle numbers way lower than we ever intended to do. Sometimes Mother Nature dictates what we have to do. And, and that's what set up the uh, incredible uh, feeder cattle and cattle markets in general that we saw uh, in 2014, 2015. Um, you know, there is potential that we could do something like that again if this drought uh, situation continues through 2022.
All right, so on the supply side, we continue to see shrinking beef cow numbers. We are going to see a probably continued decline in carcass weights. So we're seeing that shrink. Daryl, looking over to the demand side, you mentioned it has been phenomenal throughout COVID. Are there any indications that the U.S. consumer is backing off the high price of beef that they've been paying at the retail level? You know, at this point in time, there really isn't. Um, you know, consumers have had con have had money, um, you know, and and they've been spending it. The you know prices for meats in general across the board, beef, pork, and poultry are all uh, significantly higher. Beef demand has been, uh, as you mentioned, higher. You know, on a quarterly average basis, uh, the box beef price at the end of 2021 was up 28 and a half percent from where we started 2020 going into the pandemic, which I think is pretty phenomenal given all of the challenges we've had on the food service sector in particular through that time period. Uh, so there's no real indication at this point in time that consumers are backing away from, uh, from beef demand at this point. Obviously, we're keeping an eye on it because uh, uh, that could change the situation, but uh, it looks really strong at this point in time. All right. Now, on the export side of thing, I understand exports are down a little bit from a year ago. Daryl, is that expected given the pace of China's purchases last year? Well, that's right. We, you know, we may see a little bit of uh, pullback in beef exports, but that will be from a record level. Uh, we exported record amounts of beef in 2021, uh, both on a quantity and on a value basis, uh, and that was largely the result of the phenomenal growth we had in exports to the China-Hong Kong market uh, in conjunction with our, our top two markets, Japan and South Korea. Uh, you know, I expect the rate of growth to China to, to maybe pull back a little bit. Uh, I think it will continue to grow, but uh, but probably at a slower rate. And we may see the total exports pull back a little bit in 2022. Uh, but again, we're still at a very stellar level, and that clearly is part of that strong demand picture when you add the international demand uh, in conjunction with the domestic demand. Yeah, those two factors that come together, man, they have pumped a lot of money into the beef market side of things. We've been seeing uh, some really phenomenal returns for cattle processors. Daryl, as you think about the processing industry, do you think we're going to see some expansion in capacity here over the, uh, the next few years? Well, you know, for the next couple of years, we expect cattle numbers probably to continue declining. It depends on the drought in terms of sort of the timing of that and maybe the extent of that. Uh, so, you know, we've got a number of smaller plants in the works right now. Uh, I'm not aware of any major plan or plans for any major uh, packing uh, industry expansion at this point in time. But we do know that, uh, you know, at some point in time, uh, given the prices we're seeing and when Mother Nature lets us, d depending on the drought, we are going to be interested in growing this industry again. And I think this industry has considerable potential to grow at some point in time, maybe, uh, you know, maybe two or three, four years down the road. Uh, but we're going to try to grow. And when we do, then that infrastructure question is going to be very, very critical because we are going to run right back up against the capacity constraints that have been a challenge for us the last several years. Absolutely. Daryl, before we let you go, those small processors that are coming online, do you think they'll be able to at least perform a service at the margins and add a little more competition for cattle at the sale barn? Well, they certainly will. Um, you know, uh, we, we've got to get them online. Uh, it'll depend on the timing uh, in terms of cattle numbers. Obviously, the labor issues that are a, a challenge in the industry will be a challenge for those newcomers as well. So they're going to have lots of challenges, but they will add some additional capacity to the industry and, and certainly uh, provide a little bit more robustness to those markets. All right, we'll see that resiliency grow. We've been talking to Daryl Peel, professor at Oklahoma State University. Daryl, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. You bet. Very, very enjoyed it very much. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone. 
because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Everyday DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Before we let you go for the weekend, I had a couple of headlines that have popped up on my radar here, and I wanted to get those covered. The first is from the International Grains Council. You know, we've talked a lot of markets today. The volatility this past week has is what drove me to have this market conversation today, and uh, this really matters, and the international community is really focused on what is the globe going to produce. The, the expectation was throughout 2020 and 2021 that these high prices would continue to drive crop production up. That's what they're for. But globally, the confluence of weather factors and geopolitical tensions is driving down grain production. The International Grains Council released today their 2021-2022 World Soybean Production Estimates and they're scaling it back. They figure the world is gonna produce about 353 million metric tons of soybeans. That's down 15 million metric tons from January. And really this cut largely is from South America. Uh, they are figuring that the weather forecasts are going to continue to bring that crop down. And uh, they've got, uh, excuse me, we're down 10 million metric tons from uh, the 2020-2021 marketing year and down nine million metric tons globally just since January. The shrinking soybean crop is a real concern for global traders. I think we heard Joe Lardy talk about that, I think, in some detail earlier on in the program. They also came out with their estimates for global corn production. They've got us at 1,203,000,000 metric tons. Uh, it's a really big number, ladies and gentlemen. We are so good globally at growing corn. It's incredible. That number, as big as it is, though, is down 4 million metric tons just from January. However, it is still up big from 2021. In fact, it's up 71 million metric tons from 2020-2021 crop. And this is largely due to expectations that I, excuse me, American farmers are going to still put a lot of corn acres in the ground. Plus, these high prices are incentivizing some small smaller producers to increase their acreage. Of course, anytime you've got a projection like this and we're looking out through summer weather, it's hard to get these things quantified. Um, overall, the International Grains Council trimmed world grain production by 5 million metric tons. They dropped it to 2.281 billion metric tons, a little bit higher than it was in 2021. So that's part of the news right there. And there's another story. This was a report out of Bloomberg, and I've reached out to the authors. Hopefully we can get some experts on because it is a hugely important long-term trend in agriculture and it's about the Chinese investment in South America. Earlier, first on the show, we were talking to Rob Ewalt, and we didn't get a chance to dive into it today, but when Rob and I were talking about his trips down there, he said one of the things that shocked him was the recent change the Brazilian government made to allow for privately funded railways. The idea is the state has built all of the infrastructure to date in Brazil, and now the Chinese are saying, hey, you're growing a lot of beans, you're growing them inland, will fund the construction of these rail lines to get that grain to the port, and it's working. China is making these investments not just in Brazil. They've made similar investments in Paraguay. In fact, uh, there's a highway running through Paraguay that should increase their beef exports by about 50%. Now, that's in a regular weather year. Paraguay, of course, this year is suffering that same drought we've been discussing in Brazil and Argentina. Paraguay sits right on the border between the two. It's one of only two countries, in fact, in South America that does not have a port on the ocean. So Paraguay relies on the highway, the central highway that runs through the rainforest to get their beef to market, and the Chinese are working on spending money there going forward. So it's no secret that China's been pouring resources into South America, and it's expected to continue as the Argentinians, Brazilians, and Paraguayans look for additional funding for these infrastructure projects. The Chinese look like a willing partner. However, there is some pushback internally in these countries in South America because China has been making these similar kind of investments in Africa for some time, and it's getting to the point where some of the host countries of these infrastructure projects, largely ports, um, are is where China has spent the money in Africa, they're concerned. The, a lot of these smaller countries aren't able to repay the debt, they're having to restructure it, and there's concern that if they default, well, some of the covenants mean China might just claim that port. And so the South Americans really don't want to happen in their country. So this is going to be something that we need to keep an eye on 
because it is American shipments of Brazil, our transportation, excuse me, it's, it's the transportation of beans that we have that really keeps us competitive in the global market. Another quick note, we've been talking to Cam Quarles uh, over the past couple months about the potato industry, one of those that is really impacted by COVID. And now we're seeing that impact again, this time in Southeast Asia. Fast food chains are reporting that they cannot get frozen French fries because of you guessed it, supply chain snarls. They're saying they are not able to get their shipments in from either the US or Europe, largely due to challenges at the ports. They say this is a multi-prong effect on the global supply chain and distribution network. That was Diana Hu, she's the marketing manager at KFC Singapore. They just do not have the French fries that they are craving. And finally, folks, it's Friday. I know some of you might be down at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. It's going on, had a chance to catch up with Max Armstrong, host of This Week in Agribusiness, about the show. He was down there this week. He said the crowd was solid. It might be off a little bit from years past pre-COVID times, but he said the enthusiasm and the excitement of the producers who were there to get together in person was palpable. So I would say, folks, if you are or were at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, I'd love to see your pictures. I didn't have a chance to make it down there, so look us up on Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Facebook. On Twitter, just look us up. We are at AOA underscore talk show. And we're always looking for tips, for hints. If there's something happening in your neck of the woods that you'd like explained or you'd like some clarification on, or you just want some some uh, some light applied to issues in your neck of the woods, look us up on Twitter, Facebook, and let me know. We want to make sure we are covering the topics that are important for the producers out there across the country. Thanks so much for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. On Monday, when we return, John Branick of DTN Weather will give us an update on that storm system that might be impacting a lot of us as the weekend comes to a close. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.